to us. Father, thank you so much. What we're about to do is to look into your word and have by virtue of the Holy Spirit, your word, look into us. Reveal things in our heart today that may have been hidden from our own eyes. But now, with the eyes of the Spirit, we are able to see. Holy Spirit, thank you for not giving up on us. Jesus, thank you for not giving up on us. Father, thank you for not giving up on us. May there be redemptive consequence from our hearing. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Well, Palm Sunday, uh, a day that so many people in the Christian world look forward to, and, and I do. I, I love the music that surrounds the, the whole idea of welcoming and celebrating uh, the entrance of Jesus, not only into that city 2,000 years ago, but the entrance of Christ into our city, into our hearts, into, into, into our home here at Rock of Grace. Isn't there a sense of joy? And those of you that are online, our family, just knowing that God wants to be in your house and to celebrate, you to celebrate his presence there, it means everything to him that you would lift up your heart and, and acknowledge his presence in your home. This day, Palm Sunday, is the day that begins the Holy Week, a day that casts our focus not only upon Christ, but upon the cross of Christ at the conclusion of this week. It's a day we remember and we celebrate Jesus. As he rode a donkey into the town of Jerusalem, a large crowd had gathered, and they threw palm branches down and cloaks uh, and, and Singing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, you know, and a great day that was. But the greatest day was yet to come, and that is Resurrection Sunday. You know, you think I'm happy on Palm Sunday? (laughs) I like want to come out of my skin on Resurrection Sunday. And uh, to know that he is alive and he's been resurrected Let's me know I'm going to be alive and I'm going to be resurrected. Amen? I was reminded of a book I read recently. It's a good read, by the way, and you might want to take note of it. It was called Resurrected Faith by a pastor, friend of mine, Greg Eby. And so because he was a friend of mine, he asked me if I would write a foreword to his book. And so uh, I wrote... Christians are far more familiar with resurrected flesh than they are resurrected faith. And the reason I said that is because it's true of me. I, I remember a couple weeks ago when I had the chance to, to share, I said, we're in this race and the old man is trying to outrun the new man. And I want to run the race to win the prize. Let this new man win that prize. And I, I'm just thinking, doesn't that old man ever get tired? He is on my tail. And resurrected flesh is something that I just, oh, I get so frustrated with myself over the fact that that old man is so close yet in this race. An awful lot happened on Palm Sunday. And a lot happened in that week between Palm Sunday and the resurrection. Subtleties occurred that oftentimes are overlooked. 
in the midst of our busy lives, as we noted earlier in our worship, we are simply too distracted to notice what the Holy Spirit wants to reveal. You know, our spring break is a fever that most of us get as we move from our COVID winter hibernation. Is <laughs> it so that uh, we're out celebrating? I'm free, finally, I'm out. Let's begin today by looking at the sacred text of what this day presented and then see where God's going to take us. John 12 says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches, went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And the old prophet or Old Testament prophesied of Palm Sunday saying, uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous. And having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I mean, it's talking about a party atmosphere. Unlike today's spring break, where in this context on that Palm Sunday, everybody was fully clothed and still happy. As we know, the turn of events was about to unfold was sudden and so radical, so opposite the celebration that it defies our, our, our kind of our initial imagination. How could it turn so quickly? How could this crowd celebrating turn to a crowd yelling crucified? So allow me to set the stage, if I might, for Palm Sunday, that first Palm Sunday. You see, just prior to that Palm Sunday, Jesus arrives to meet Mary and Martha after the death of Lazarus, who had died four days earlier, much to their distress and much to their disgruntled attitude towards Christ for not showing up in a timely fashion. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Wow. Well, uh, you know, superimpose your name for Martha. So he's saying, do you believe this, Bobby? Do you believe this, Jesse? Do you believe this, Tim? Because upon the confession of your faith, whether you believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he's resurrected from the grave, that he has a place prepared, I mean, your whole eternity rests on the scale of your commitment to say, yes, I believe you are who you say you are. Not who others say he is, but who Jesus said he was. Okay, so now Jesus has raised Lazarus from the grave. And he says, Lazarus, come out. Unwrap him and let him go. Three things. Come out. Unwrap him. Let him go. I feel a rabbit trail coming, <laughs> you know. You wonder where Jordan gets it. Well, he gets it from me. <laughs> Do you see a process here, rabbit trail? The 
come out the first part of this, we must decide in to hear and to heed the call to come out. Come out of darkness. Come out of a sin-filled world. Come out of the, your self-pleasure. Come out of the grip of religious law, tradition, rules, regulations. Come out of selfish pursuits. Get unwrapped. Because it's one thing to come out. It's another thing to get unwrapped. My wife and I came from a mainline denomination that if you were born into and baptized into as a baby, you were going to heaven. We didn't have to come out of anything. You were in. You were born in that church, and therefore you are in heaven. Even if you live like hell, you were heaven bound. We had to come out. We had to come out of our Life of drugs and alcohol, more so mine than hers, of course. Come out of angry outbursts where I had the right to be angry. I'm the man of this house. I had to come out of my vulgar mouth and come out of my world of, of criticizing and being, being independent and alone. I had to come out of being ungodly. And that can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I had to be willing to come out. So when God knocks on your door and he says, come out, uh, I'm trusting you're going to come out. But that's only stage number one. Stage number two is unwrapping this thing. Amen. So I remember the night I got saved. I went home I went home and I dumped out. I had two cases of beer. And we, we stacked them up and there were 24 bottles in the case. And I just dumped them all out. And I dumped out my alcohol. And I felt so proud of myself. Yes! Woo! But about two weeks later, at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm smoking a joint over a pool table. And the guy says, Hey, man, I thought you got religion. I said, Nah, I didn't get religion. I got Jesus. He said, well, Jesus people don't smoke dope. I said, they don't even do that. <laughs> I got unwrapped. And a couple of months later, I got unwrapped from my vicious temper. And then I got unwrapped from my vulgar mouth. And then I got unwrapped in my selfish, crazy my wife is there to serve me thing that I grew up in. I got unwrapped so that I could now begin to serve her. I mean, I, did you know, I never changed the diaper one time on my oldest kid. I told my wife, I don't do diapers. That's your job. I'll milk the cows. You take care of the kids. And then after I got saved, oh, man, that's all I did was change diapers. I, I didn't know that was in the whole salvation message. You're saved, and now you shall be a diaper changer. Well, anyway. So we get unwrapped. When you grow up in a church that's filled with traditions and religious spirits and regulations and rules, 
it's hard to get unwrapped. And what's crazy is, oftentimes, the church that you go into starts wrapping you up. Oh, in this church? Yeah, you have to be baptized in this church. You have to speak in tongues if you're going to go to heaven. You have to be able to uh, come to church at least once a week, maybe twice. Will you? No, we don't wrap people up. We unwrap. Turn to somebody and say, you're an unwrapper. Now, there's a few kids in here that says, not me, man. I'm called to be a rapper. No, no, no. We're unwrappers. Come on, say amen. amen. Being unwrapped is not as easy as it appears. Notice what the Holy Spirit had the Apostle John write. Many people did believe in Jesus, including some of the Jewish leaders. But they wouldn't admit it for fear the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. They loved human praise more than the praise of God. It sounds like us in the marketplace. The fear factor is one of the most difficult human psychological maladies to get unwrapped from. We're just, we have this self-preservation thing deep in us. And so we're afraid of losing a friend or losing this or whatever. And so we, we are still wrapped up in fear. We are. And God says, come out, unwrap them, and let him go. Let him go. Start running that race of being a joyful Christian. Run the race of being someone who's saved by the, the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away not only the sin of the world, but my sin, yes. Fear is a deeply woven reality in all of us. We all have a measure of the fear factor, but when it's fed and nourished both by our self-preservation and by others, we get wrapped up pretty tight. So the message to the church is, unwrap him and let him go. Do not wrap him up again. Don't put fear back in his life. We all have enough of that. Well, a lot took place during that fate-filled week between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. Let me just give a short perusal, and please listen carefully, because I... I feel like God's going to just blow this uh, thing wide open in our spirit, man. Jesus hosts the Last Supper. In that, he washed the disciples' feet, set them an example that they should follow, and then he shares the intimacy of communion with those whom he knew would betray him and deny him. And all would leave him. Why? The fear factor. All of them had it. Then he gets anointed with precious ointment from a woman. Much to the chagrin of some of his disciples. Saying in response to that incredible commitment of sacrificial love. 
She's been forgiven much. And the result is she loves much. See, that's a real thing. Don't, dis don't discard that. When you find yourself becoming hard-hearted and, and a little bit, well, that's somebody else's job. Somebody else can drive. Somebody else can provide a home. Somebody else can help with this or somebody else can do that. Somebody else can serve in the sound booth. Somebody else can serve. It's because our hearts are getting hard. We've forgotten. We have forgotten how much he has forgiven us of. If you've been forgiven much, you love much. It's not about being busy. It's about being about the Father's business. Come on, say amen. Now, he reveals that one of those that he's having communion with will betray him. And then he turns to Peter and tells him, hey, Peter, you are going to deny me, and you're going to do it three times. This is how it's going to happen. And, of course, you know, Peter, no, no. And then he says that he's on the way to the Father and he's going ahead of them to be with his Father and prepare a place for them so that they could be where he is. Then he says he promises to come back for them that they might be with him for eternity. Then he promises the peace and the presence of the Holy Spirit. How many are loving the promises of God? Are you? Well, good, because the next thing he says is, I promise you persecution. I promise you trouble. I don't know about all the promises of Christ. I'm just not into that. But on the heels of that promise, he says, I promise you will have the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome every persecution and test. Give the Lord a clap offering. There's hope. I give you the Holy Ghost. And greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world. And then he prays, not in this mysterious way in the 17th chapter of John. He prays for unity, love, and glory to be in the church. And Pastor Ed, I, I, I always kind of mused over this. I've, I've struggled over it for years. I look at this text. I know he's praying to his father. But do you know that prayer cannot be answered by his father? The only one who can answer that prayer for unity is you and me. If you desire to have aught with somebody and bring division, God's not going to stop you. I mean, you're going to have the Word. You're going to have the Holy Spirit. You're going to have others encouraged. But if you are bullheaded and hard-hearted and you want to create trouble, you can. You and I can answer that prayer. You know, did you know that in every one of those, I've preached sermon series on every one of those 10 points. Everyone, you're talking about more than a couple years worth of sermons just off of what we just, just read. Each of those 10 items. Well, embedded in the prophetic declarations and promises of these last moments with his followers, Jesus revealed that one of his disciples would indeed betray him and that that were not bad enough. His most faithful, one of his most faithful and passionate disciples would deny him not once but three times. And when he says that, when I read that part and I go over that every single year, maybe multiple times during the year, I get shivers down my spine because unlike most of the disciples, I relate most 
to someone like Peter. I blurt things out. I remember when I was 20, I, I got on top of a, 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 a pontoon boat it had a rack over the top, you know, and I, I had my girlfriend there, and I was going to impress her, and so I jumped into the lake. It was only two feet deep. <laughs> I, I just saw fireworks in my neurological, boom, everything's going off, and I'm trying to push myself out of the mud. Oh, I think, wow, well, i got to learn to think before I do stuff. Well, then just Christmas, this Christmas, I'm showing my grandkids how to climb up a 20-foot rock wall and throw yourself off. And I did. And then the trouble is I got turned around a little bit and I landed square in my neck. It's still stiff. I'm doing this half the time. I'm thinking, 50 years, I still haven't learned to be careful. My wife says, every, I mean, virtually every day. I don't know why she wasn't sitting with me this morning. I'm not sure. But every day she'll say, be careful. I say, honey, it's too late. <laughs> I'm not going to get that. That's a lesson that's just out there. I identify with the lion personality type of Peter. I see in me Peter. And that's problematic because Peter's denial is a possibility in my experience, and it has been. And I'm the kind that say, never, just like Peter. Jesus is betrayed by Judas with a kiss. He's arrested. He's hauled off to a kangaroo court. And Peter follows at a safe distance into the courtyard. And we read, the young woman who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, aren't you one of these man's disciples? He says, no, I, I'm not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. <laughs> I feel another rabbit trail. You ready for one? A rabbit trail coming. Do you know how there's a curious study in the Bible on fire? I mean, it's amazing. What? How is it that fire can be this fundamental and so important in the context of Scripture? Over 500 times fire is mentioned. That's a lot. The first time it was mentioned, there was a flaming sword that guarded the road back to Eden's tree of life after Adam and Eve's fall. In other words, they're not going to get through in the natural. The heat we enjoy as a result of the sun is a fire that burns constantly. I, I'm still mystified by that. Natural fire served many very good purposes throughout the ancient Near East. Domestically, fire was used for keeping warm and fire for light and fire for torches and lanterns, fire for cooking. Fire was used for, uh, uh, to um, purify areas of contamination. It was used to purify and refine precious metals. Fire was used in the temple worship as incense burned uh, the sweet aroma to the Lord. Fire burned the sin offerings of bulls and goats and flawless sheep. 
But not all natural fires then or now were of benefit. I mean, California cringes every year at the countless millions of acres destroyed by fire. Samson and others burned wheat fields of their enemies with fire. Fire were used to sacrifice children, destroy villages. In Daniel 3, 24, Nebuchadnezzar threw Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael into the fire. Now, you might know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I prefer their Hebrew names. Anyway, fire was used as a means of judgment. It was used in military sieges and destruction of cities. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, were charged with maintaining the holiness of God's tabernacle worship, and they offered unauthorized fire, and they in turn were consumed by the fire of God's judgment. Yikes! Sodom and Gomorrah experienced a similar fate in the According to 2 Peter 3.10, the whole earth is going to be subject to the fire of judgment at some point in time. And not only that, there's unquenchable fires of hell. That puts another yikes in my spirit. Unquenchable fire of eternal hell? I don't think so. I'd rather go to heaven and be in glory. And now that the option has been presented to us, all of us have that decision before us. Whom do you choose? Where would you like to go? We see biblical references to supernatural manifestations of fire. The burning bush was not to be consumed, and yet we know that God is a consuming fire. From Isaiah to Ezekiel to Revelation, we see uh, visions of the Messiah coming with eyes of fire in his upper and lower torso, burning with flames of fire, fire in the manifestation of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Elijah's homecoming was accompanied by a chariot of fire. A pillar of fire was over Israel for 40 years. In Jeremiah 5, 14, we read that the word of God burned in his bones like a fire. And the, the two men on the road to Emmaus said, didn't our hearts burn with fire as we walked in the presence of Jesus? Come on, say amen. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, don't put out the Spirit's fire. There's all kinds of fire. But hidden among all those fire verses is one that holds a key not only to what happened to Peter, but what happens to us. I just read it. But let's read it again now that you've been made aware of fire. The young woman who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, aren't you one of this man's disciples? He said, no, I'm not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves. And Peter stood with them, warming himself. This was a fire started by men, and it was used to comfort their flesh. It brought pleasurable sensation of warmth to anyone who got close enough to enjoy it. 
And despite Peter knowing the very first words of Psalms 1-1, do not walk, stand, or sit with sinners. He did. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Well, Peter went anyway. As Peter warmed himself, he denied his Savior. As he warmed his flesh and pleasured himself, he denied Jesus. Sounds like those same people that were afraid earlier as we read. Satan's primary task is to destroy our witness, to put the Holy Spirit's fire out, to exchange the Holy Spirit fire with man-made fire. Satan draws you in by the warmth of flesh fire in order to snuff out the fire of your faith. Well, it's easy to switch camps. Even this fully committed, mature follower of Christ found himself succumbing to and switching allegiance simply by warming himself by the wrong fire. When we hang around the pleasurable warmth of a man-made fire, we lose our sense of discernment. We compromise our holiness. We make God's word only convenient when it's convenient. We start watching movies that violate the holiness of God. We start talking in ways that are coarse or crude. And and even though Scripture warns us not to, and despite Scripture telling us not to, we give ourselves license to be selfish or hard-hearted, to ignore the sufferings of others. So we don't feed the hungry. We don't house the homeless. We don't clothe the naked. We don't visit the captive. The old man begins to outrun the new man simply because... We've been hanging around the wrong fire. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross, crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. In other words, let the fire of the Holy Spirit be the one that determines our actions. Come on. Ephesians says, Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but Those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk on wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. One is warming yourself. The other is being on fire for God. So, my paraphrase is, be careful which fire you're hanging around. Be careful of which fire you feed. Are you content to hang around worldly friends just to stay content by the warmth of their friendship? Are you willing to do as they do in order to maintain the warmth of that fire? What's more important to you, friendship with God or, and having your father's favor or friendship with the world and having your friend's favor? Are you willing to keep your false sense of self-righteousness by remaining bitter and unforgiving toward others? You see, listen, there's a big deal. This Bait of Satan book is awesome because he talks about this bitter root, about unforgiveness, about ought. I I constantly tell people, you need some serious duck oil so that when people say stuff to you, it just rolls off you. Don't Don't let it in. 
You got too much to be happy about. We're going to heaven, my friends. Jesus is raised up from the grave. Give the Lord another clap off. That's awesome. Good news, Lord. So, as I conclude, I, I find myself asking the same question that was asked of me, basically, as the night I got saved. Are you willing to leave the warmth of a man-made fire to have the fire of the Holy Spirit burning you? Are we willing, are we willing to come out to get unwrapped from all that stuff. And you see, this might not just be for someone who's never accepted Jesus Christ. This message for the church. Because many of us are still wrapped up in timidity and fear. How many would be willing to say, oh yeah, in the public arena, I find myself struggling with that. Come on, how many? Yeah, be honest, the rest of you are liars. So, this is real. My encouragement to you today is this. As I pray and I ask the Holy Spirit, I believe that there's an exchange principle that needs to take place. Too many of us have been willing to stay warm by man-made fires. And today, God wants you to exchange that propensity, that proclivity, to want to be warm in your flesh and exchange it for the warmth and the fire of the Holy Spirit that would burn. Would you close your eyes? So my first part of this altar call, this first part of this prayer of repentance and commitment goes to my unsaved friends. Well, God doesn't want us to leave the world. He wants us to go into the world, to be a light, to be a messenger of hope and life and the gospel truth. So if you're here this morning, if you're listening online and you haven't asked Jesus to come into your heart, he is saying to you this morning, I love you. Come out. And because you hear his voice, you're coming out. If you're here this morning in this congregation and you haven't given your heart to Jesus and you want to come out of the world in which you live with its man-made warmth and pleasures and come into a world where the fires of heaven burn in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Then I want you to raise your hand and say, I just want to know Jesus. I want to know I'm going to heaven. I want the fire of the Holy Spirit in my life. Is there anybody here? then I'm going to ask my friends that you would allow allow us in the same way that we laid our head back to rest during worship 
in the quiet solitude of those moments with our eyes closed, we began to hang out with Jesus in a very restful way. I believe that the Lord was giving us time to hear his voice. And he's saying to us, you need to get unwrapped from your fear. You need to get unwrapped from that unforgiveness in your life. You need to get unwrapped from your selfish indifference toward the sufferings of others. Unwrap him and let him go. Getting unwrapped from the selfish pleasures of the human fires, the human warmth. Without coming to the front, without hanging out here for any length of time, I'm asking you if you would, just stand where, where you're at. Stand at your seat. Just stand up and say, it's me. It's me. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Would you do that? Would you stand up if the Holy Spirit has convicted you about any part of your life that maybe you identify, like me, we identify with Peter, where somehow the subtleties of the moment, we prefer to be safe Father, I, I just thank you for the privilege of being able to identify. You didn't give up on Peter. You, you anointed him and set him apart, and you turned a very fear-filled man into a faithful, prophetic voice in the New Testament. And the book of Acts is filled with courage, from a man who was filled with cowardice. He made the exchange from the warmth of the fire in the courtyard that day to the warmth and the fire of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord. Would everyone please stand at this time? Would you hold out your hands real quickly like, like I, I'm going to give you something? <laughs> I, uh, I'm really not going to give you anything. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit's going to give you something. You see, God knows what you have need of before you ask. And some of you do need courage. Some of you need humility. Father, I bless your people this morning. <laughs> oh, Father, I bless them just the way that people sang songs. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I say, blessed are they who go in the name of the Lord. Let them be filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Let them be filled with your joy, filled with your peace. Bless them mightily. May their faith be resurrected, not their flesh. 
May it be, Lord, that today will be a day that's a turning point in their life. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Father, bless them in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, give the Lord our blessed word. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. God is good.